Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Greetings and welcome back to the program again this week. I trust you are enjoying this series we're doing on Romans. I know that I am. I certainly am enjoying teaching it, studying it, looking at the Word of God, and I think as I have the opportunity to do this so much more when I'm in the television studio or in the recording studio rather than uh, just preaching several day conferences that I literally can unpack a lot of things and just keep on teaching and get them out there where you can study them and you can get in the Word and dig around yourself. Uh, you know, I'm encouraged because I know people are using much of what we're saying in their uh, home groups, in their, you know, uh, uh, Wednesday night Bible studies. They pull down a maybe a 30-minute segment of this and watch it and then have discussions. It's a great, great teaching tool to be able to go through some scriptures line by line. And uh, if you've missed it, like I just mentioned that a minute ago, if you missed any of these, of course, again, I just remind you that you can go to our YouTube channel, and uh, there everything we've aired to date has been archived there. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure how long we're going to leave some of that up. We may begin to use some of this teaching in uh, maybe perhaps some kind of a school setting. So if we do that, we may pull this this down. So take advantage of it while you can, and while it is up there, you can uh, you can study and and follow along. If you missed it and you you don't have YouTube, but you've got an iPhone or you've got a Android device, you can go to uh, the uh, podcast and on iTunes, or you can go to the RSS feed for Android devices. And the easiest way to do that is simply to go to my website. And that address is on the screen. And in the upper right-hand corner, there is icons of the iTunes, the Android, and the YouTube. And if you click on that, it will take you directly to that link. And everything is there and listed and enjoyed. If you sign up for it, it doesn't cost you anything, but you are notified each time we upload a new one. Now, let's get back in the Word. We've been discussing the book of Romans, and we've been talking about Romans 1 and chapter 2 and the diagnoses, and I want to really try to get into chapter 3 today and talk about uh, uh, continuing the diagnosis, but begin to shift into the deliverance, because the next section for several chapters is going to be God's antidote and God's deliverance for the problem. Now, let me say again that, you know, uh, I, as you said, you said, I think, you know, uh, I used to think, well, you know, if you could scare people bad enough, you can get them to repent. But the truth of it is, is scaring people does not get them to repent. It gets them to pretend like they've changed. Repentance either comes one of two ways. Romans 2 says, it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. So that's the first and best way to respond, is God's kindness toward us leads us to repentance. But it goes on to say, but if the hardness, but in, but in after the hardness and impenitent or unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath against the day of wrath. Now, let me say this, that God's wrath, according to the Scripture, the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. God is not necessarily out to get people 
as much as He is to get the sin that's destroying people. You see, God is interested in dealing with sin, but not simply because of what it does to Him, but because of what it does to you. And not just because sin keeps you out of heaven, but it's because it keeps heaven out of you. And so what happens is, is that sin begins to produce darkness in your life that ultimately you start to reap what you sow, and that is kind of a passive kind of wrath that comes upon you as a result of some time. In other words, if you continue to give yourself to certain kinds of behavior, there are repercussions that come to you, and at some point that, that thing brings you to repentance. It would be, for instance, I've said many times, that you know, substance abuse is one of the national nightmares that's going on in our country. My my brother, who pastors in the city where I live, works with a group called Life for Drugs. His church is in a community that has a lot of people who've been addicted to substances that are part of his church. He also has a thing called Team Hope, which is the children and families of addicts, because everybody is affected by. Uh, that the addiction that's in a person's life. So it's not just you. Some people say, well, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. That's really a lie. That's really a lie because it's hurting everybody around you. And so what happens though is like many times people will continue. You can't seem to get them to repent because of the goodness of God. So they end up in jail or they end up in the hospital. And so, uh, you know, while that's tragic, I say sometimes I think the worst thing you can do is bail them out of jail because many people have had to come to what they call their bottom in order to really change their mind and say, wait a minute, this lifestyle is not heading anywhere. So it is not up to me to try to convince you of certain behaviors that are in your life. It's up to the Holy Spirit to transform you and say, listen, the goodness of God and God's kindness towards you is really wooing you and drawing you to come and look at the image that God has created, the glorious life that God wants for you, and, and, and to take a look at that and say, this is what I want. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. God does want God wants to do more than just get you to heaven after you've lived in 60, 70, 80, 90 years of misery here. He wants to give you righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost and let you have this glorious light that He intended from the beginning. If God planted a garden called paradise in Genesis 1, and puts the man and his wife in the middle of that garden, says, all you've got to do is guard and keep the garden. Get out of bed in the morning and say, just another day in paradise. That seems to me like that's what God's intention is for your life. And perhaps you're hearing this and you think, you know, God, I, you know, I've just tuned in this morning for the first time hearing this. God, listen, it's not about the gospel is not nearly as much about heaven and hell in the future as it is in living in one or the other of them right now. See, if you get this thing settled in your life, you can have, as Deuteronomy chapter 10 and 11 says, the days of heaven on earth, because God's plan is a plan of redemption and restoration. And all of the, the stuff that our, our problems in our lives, our marriages, our planet are a result of man missing the mark of this glorious life 
See, Romans 1 said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's not just glow in the dark. It's these glorious lives that God intended for us to have so that our life, not our religious looks. I said recently in a meeting I was at, I think I'm a recovering Pharisee. Because I used to be a legalist thinking God's out to get everybody and being judgmental and condemning. That's not what the gospel is doing here. What the gospel is doing, it is the power of God under salvation. But what it does, first of all, as Paul begins to unfold this in Romans 1 and 2, is he's dealing with the diagnoses. And he's dealing with the diagnoses and the problem of sin in the human family that brings them into crises. Many times I think the word uh, judgment is the Greek word for crises. So the crises that we come into uh, can be us hitting our bottom and our own sin reproving us and our own iniquity judging us, as Jeremiah said. And at that point, sometimes the uh, repentance clicks in, and it's still then the goodness of God that reaches down to you. And any of us, all of us, have been there in some dimension or the other, whether it's laying in a gutter, locked up in a jail cell, in a hospital room, or uh, you know, or, or, or not necessarily even have to go that far. But there's the kindness of God that reaches His hand out, almost like Forrest Gump in the movie where he loved Jenny regardless of her lifestyle because stupid was what stupid does or stupid is what stupid does. And she was body racked with disease because she was looking for love in all the wrong places. But God is like Forrest Gump. He'll take you back when all you got is one dying breath. But the truth is you could have had this abundant life your entire life if you just simply receive His goodness and say, okay, God, you come in and you do the saving. People constantly are saying to me, well, I would come, but I can't live it. I can't live this. I can't live. I can't keep. My, my response is, welcome to the club. Neither can I. But the truth is that's what the Spirit of God in us is doing is moving in us to produce these glorious lives. In other words, you come to God just like you are, messed up, racked with pain, in addiction, whatever it is, and you come to Him and you say, Lord, I am opening my heart. I am opening my life to you right now. If you're watching this, all you have to do is receive Him into your life. All you have to do, no matter if you've heard some of the things that I've said over the last couple of weeks of the diagnosis, and you find yourself in that category, you say, Lord, I am opening my life to the work of the Spirit of God. See, under the old covenant, it was about your human strength and your human ability to keep the law. But what we will see as we open the third chapter is, He concludes all under sin so that He can have mercy on all, so that we come to a place where we realize, you know what, in all of my, see, here's the thing, God accepts us, and a lot of people are good with the fact that God just simply accepts us, and that's wonderful that He accepts us, but He loves us too much to leave us where we're at. He's come to deliver us, but He'll only do that when your heart has changed. See, see, law can change your behavior, but real grace will change your heart. And that's what Paul was saying in Romans 2 when he's saying, you know what? He's not a Jew, which is one outwardly, who's had a circumcision in his flesh, or who keeps all the outward rituals. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, who's had a circumcision in the heart. 
So we're not talking about behavior modifications. We're not talking about self-help plans. We're talking about spirit transformation. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but when you get to Romans 12, he says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. To be conformed is to be have some set of rules superimposed on you that makes you look holy. See, all that does is create a Pharisee. But t- transformation is from the inside out. It is the Greek word there, metamorphosis. So what happens is it's like a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. When you come to Jesus, you may just look, look like a worm wrapped up in, in caterpillar spit or in a cocoon. But the more you allow the life that is in you, the life that is inside of you, it is in you, begin to work, it transforms you from the inside out, and you are changed, not from heartache to heartache or from misery to misery, but from glory to glory. And so that's the real transformation that Paul's talking about. So in chapters number one and two, he primarily focuses on the fact that Gentiles are now included. Here's some incredibly good news he's announcing to the Romans. It's not just to the Jew. It's not just to insiders anymore. God so loved the world. God so, I like to stretch out the, the O's on that. God so loved the world. Not just you. And as he tells them later on in the book of Colossians, I believe it is, that it is the mystery that's been hid from ages, which is Christ in and among all of you. So he's talking about the inclusion of both Jew and Gentile, and he's thinking God has threw the doors wide open in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and the gospel is the power of God to salvation. He said, I'm ready to preach this at Rome and to impart to you some spiritual gift so that you who have been on the outside can realize God has now included you in the covenants of promise. And as he begins to come down through this, he starts to talk about the different lifestyles that have been a result of a wrong image of God and as a result of idolatry. And so as you read this book of Romans, I encourage you to always read it in one setting, like you would read a letter written to you. Although it is a long letter, if you stop, see what we've done is we've taken Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, the uh, diagnoses, and we center in on what we think are our pet sins that we want to preach against, whether it be in chapter 1, homosexuality or some kind of sexual perversion, but we don't realize that there's other things in that that hit Christians too. Hatred and malices and strives and drunkenness and, and emulations and all. He, he indicts everything. So he's not just after one group of people, but what we try to do with that is we try to focus on that because it keeps the heat off of my problem. And so it looks like you're standing back going, see there, sinners, God is after you, and you are really in trouble, and God is really going to get you. But he switches, and he begins to indict now and diagnose the problem of the Jew. So let's go to Romans chapter 3 with this, because his intention is to conclude all under sin. Here's Romans 3. I'm reading from the Message Bible. He says, so what difference does it make who's a Jew and who isn't? who has been trained in God's ways, and who hasn't. As it turns out, it makes a lot of difference, but not the difference so many have assumed. 
First, there's the matter of being put in charge of writing down and caring for God's revelation, these holy scriptures. That was given to the Jews. So what if in the course of doing that, some of these Jews abandoned their post? God didn't abandon them. Now that's some good news right there. Do you think their faithlessness cancels out His faithfulness? Not on your life. Depend on it. God keeps His word when the whole world is lying through its teeth. Scripture says the same. Your words are stand fast and true. Rejection doesn't phase you. Let me just see if I can pull that up in the... I'm going to show you the comparison between uh, the New King James and the uh, Message Bible. It said, what advantage then has the Jew? This is the New King James Version. Or what profit is the circumcision? Much in every way, because them, because to them were committed the oracles of God. That is the writing down the Scripture. For what if God, for what if some did not believe? He's talking about the Jews. Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every merit man a liar. It is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our righteousness demonstrates the right, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Now let me come back here and read this to you again in the, in the message version of this. It says, do you think their faithfulness, faithlessness cancels out his faithfulness? Not on your life. Depend on it. God keeps His Word even when the whole world is lying through its teeth. Scripture says the same. Your words are fast and true. Re rejection doesn't phase you. So what he's saying is God keeps His side of the bargain regardless. God, God is a covenant-keeping God. It's good to know that. I, I feel like I want to sidetrack here a little bit, but I better not. But if our wrongdoing only underlines and confirms God's right doing, shouldn't we, commend, shouldn't we be commended for helping out? Since our bad words don't even make a dent in His good words, isn't it wrong of God to back us to the wall and hold us to our word? These questions come up. The answer to such questions is no, a most emphatic no. How else would things ever get straightened out if God didn't do the straightening? It's simply perverse to say, if my, lives, if my lies serve to show off God's truth all the more gloriously, why blame me? I'm doing God a favor. Now let me stop for a moment, because here's the thing. A lot of people, when I first started preaching grace, they turned from law, but they didn't really turn to grace. Now they turned to grace in some dimension, but it almost became as if this argument came up. Listen. The righteousness of God is, 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 and God's, God's word is true. In other words, if my wrongdoing only underlearns and confirms God's right doing, should we be committed for helping him out? Since our bad words don't even make a dent in his good words, isn't it wrong of God to back us to the wall and hold us to a word? These questions come up. The answer to such question is no. In other words, if my wrongdoing that has revealed the righteousness of God 
apart from the law. In other words, God makes... uh, Here's the announcement of the good news is in the gospel is revealed the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is given to us as a gift. And so what it's doing is showing you that the righteousness is not based on your works or your labor, or if you think you're a glow-in-the-dark saint, or if you think you're a glow-in-the-dark Pharisee. The issue is God concludes all under sin so He can have mercy on all. And what He's shown is that if that wrongdoing simply amplified God's right doing in making us right and bringing us into relationship with ourselves, then why don't we just keep on doing evil? Because we're showing off God. But that's really not what He's trying to say here. He's saying that question comes up, and it comes up many times in grace camps. Well, you can't judge me, and I'm not trying to judge anybody, but I'm after this. What? Make no mistake about it, at least for me. The gospel that I preach includes everybody, no matter where they're at. But I don't believe the gospel will leave you where you're at. I believe that what happens is, is that the, 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 the whole almost celebrating people's sin, rather than allowing God to bring them into an environment where He can change them. See, while God is changing them, we absolutely should not be judgmental, because we are all somewhere in the process. But to say that if I keep on doing wrong and evil so God can be glorified in the fact that He saved me, no matter how bad I was, no matter what I was in, and to say, hey, my wrongdoing simply amplified how good God is, because those who've been forgiven much are thankful of much. But see, I'm telling you that it's not God wanting to leave us in that. And so he goes on to say here, so where does that put us? Talking about the Jews now. He switched from outsiders to dealing with the insiders. So where does that put us? Do we Jews get a better break than the others? Not really. Basically, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start out in identical conditions, which is to say we all start out as sinners. Scripture leaves no doubt about it. That's verse number 9 of uh, of the Message Bible. Let me flip over here and see what the New King James says concerning that verse. Let me, let me see here if I can pull it back up. He says, but if our righteousness, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how would God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to His glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner and not say, let us do evil that good may come as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say. See, our opponents say, we're trying to encourage sin. That's just not true. Their, condemna- their condemnation is, is, is just. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. Now, let me read that to you from, again, uh, the, the Message Bible. It says, so where does that put us? 
Do we Jews get a better break than others? Not really. Basically, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start out in identical conditions, which is to say that we all start out sinners. Scripture leaves no doubt about it. There's nobody living right, not even one. Nobody knows the score. Nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. No one's living right. I can't find a single one. Their throat are gaping graves. Their tongues slick as mudslides. Every word they speak is tinged with poison. They open their mouth and pollute the air. They race for the honor of sinner of the year. Litter the land with heartbreak and ruin. See, that's the end of what sin produces. They don't know the first thing about living with others. They never give God the time of day. This makes it clear, doesn't it, that whatever it is written in these scriptures is not what God says about others, but to us to whom these scriptures were addressed in the first place. And it's clear, isn't it? I'm sorry, I went back to the wrong, I went back to the wrong chair. And it's clear, isn't it? Let me find it. I've, I've lost my place there. There's no one living right. I can't find a single one. Their throats are gaping graves. Their tongues slick as mud size. Every word they speak is tinged with, with poison. They open their mouths and pollute the air. They race for the honor of sinner of the year, litter the land with heartbreak, ruin, don't know the first thing about living with others. They never give God the time of day. This makes it clear, doesn't it, that whatever is written in these scriptures is not what God says about others, but to us to whom these scriptures were addressed in the first place. And it's clear enough, isn't it, that we're sinners every one of us, in the same sinking boat with everybody else. Our involvement with God's revelation doesn't put us right with God. What it does is force us to face our complicity in everyone else's sin. Now let me just read that to you. He says, we're all in the same boat. Can you see this is the diagnosis? Romans 1 and 2 starts out talking about the outsiders. Now he's dealing with the insiders and he's saying, hey, hey, we're all in the same sinking boat. Every one of us. Our involvement with God's revelation does not put us right with God. What it does is forces us to face our complicity in everyone else's sin. And so what he's doing again here is uh, he is indicting everything and everybody, and he is concluding all under sin, and he's saying, listen, you're all in the same seeking boat. Listen, you can point your finger at whoever you want to, but I'm telling you, if it were not for Jesus Christ, who is my Savior, I stand on the basis of nothing but the grace of God and the grace of God alone, and I stand before him with my arms wide open saying, God, I need you in my life every single day and the supply of spirit that brings the transformation to my life so that we can live the glorious lives that God has intended for us to live. Well, we're about out of time again, and I just want to take a moment to encourage you. We only take have a few seconds left to encourage you to become a partner and so into this ministry. We do need your help to take the gospel around the world. And the easiest way to do that would be either to scan that uh, QR code on the screen. It will take you to a direct link, or you can uh, you, it'll take you to our website. But you can give via credit card. You can give your uh, through your uh, debit card at the PayPal site. It'll take either one. Or if you have a PayPal account, you can also send a check or money order to Lynn Hiles Ministries to the address that will come on the screen. Or you can call the number that comes up on the screen, and someone will take your call. God bless you. Join us again next week.
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.